This podcast episode should not be used as a substitute for medical or mental health advice. Individuals are advised to seek independent medical advice, counseling, and or therapy from a healthcare professional with respect to any medical condition, mental health issue, or health inquiry, including matters discussed on this podcast episode. Welcome back to the Unfiltered Podcast. This is episode 25. In today's episode, Dr. Daksha, clinical psychologist specializing in trauma-informed psychotherapy and narcissistic abuse recovery, will answer these 10 questions from our community. 1. How are narcissists made? 2. How do narcissists find our insecurities? 3. I think my therapist is breaking confidentiality by sharing what we discuss in our sessions with my narcissistic spouse. What should I do? 4. What types of people attract narcissists? I'm worried that I'm a narcissist magnet because I've been in three narcissistic relationships. How can I stop this from happening? 5. My non-narcissistic father is my narcissistic mother's biggest enabler. How do I handle this situation? Do I try to explain narcissism to him? I have accepted that I have lost my mother. I don't want to lose my father too. 6. I hate to admit this, but I enjoyed the love bombing phase. It made me feel amazing. How do I move past that? How can I find other sources of happiness in my life? 7. The narcissist in my life is so helpful with my family. I'm scared that if I tell them about how abusive he is, they will just call me dramatic. What should I do? 8. The narcissist enablers in my life are constantly pressuring me to help my narcissistic sister because she is trying. I know that I will have to distance myself at some point, but I'm not ready yet. What should I do? 9. What are some narcissistic patterns that I should watch out for on social media? With stories like the Tinder swindler becoming more and more common, how can I stay safe online? 10. Sometimes mental health professionals turn out to be narcissistic. How can I tell the difference between a professional who is pushing me towards becoming the best version of myself and a professional who is pushing me because he or she is narcissistic? Hi Daksha, thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you in this podcast episode. Thank you very much and lovely to be invited. So thank you very much, Juliana. Thank you. Uh, Let's get started right away with these questions. So the first question is, how are narcissists made? Well, in order to understand how the narcissist is made, it's important to know that there's no one straightforward answer. There are a number of ways, but there are two words that I want you to remember. The two words are nature and nurture. Everybody has a different personality. You know, I'm different to my siblings. So my nature is going to be different to my siblings' nature, no matter what our nurture was. A nurture is what is given to a child when they are born by the parents, by the primary caregivers. So the nature is what you are born with, and nurture is how you are brought up. In order for somebody to develop narcissistic tendencies, 
you can have somebody's nature that is biologically predispositioned to have bigger amygdalas so they see threat a lot of the time and so they will you'll find that they end up having narcissistic traits even though their nurture was quite solid very um, validating very nurturing and you can get that or it could be nurture where you've had parents who brought the child up in a very invalidating manner they have been neglected, their needs have not been met, their emotional needs have not been met. And so that can also happen. Now, the third thing is it can be both nature and nurture. And when people say, yes, but you know, I don't see uh, this person ever having been invalidated. But there are other ways in which nurture can also bring upon narcissistic traits. So for example, if you bring up a child saying they are amazing, they are beautiful, you really bump up their egos in such a huge, big way, and you're always favoring the, you know, that child over other children, and they come up with a very overinflated uh, sense of self. Now, that would be okay if you were also equipped that child to be the best. But normally what happens is you get, uh, you know, parents saying that, oh, my child is the most amazing and they're really pumped up, but they're not equipped with the tools they need in order to be the best. By that, I mean, you know, being brought up to be resilient, to be brought up to be hardworking, to be really going for it. So you might not get that or to the extent to which. So then they end up having the, to develop sort of uh, defense mechanisms that actually say to them, because when you go out into the outer world and they realize, okay, I've been told I've been the best, but this world is showing me I'm not the best because they don't have the tools. So they have to come up with this false sense of who they are in order to have a defense mechanism, which is where the narcissistic traits come in and they portray this fake self in order to protect their very fragile ego. So I hope that uh, answers your question. Yeah, it does. Thank you. Uh, do you think it's uh, possible to like be a full-blown narcissist, like have the NPD just because of the nature factor so that you have the traits? Or is there always some role also with the nurture? So it's the either the invalidation or the other one where the parent over like... um. You know, sort, of over, sort of pumps them up and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say, yes, it is possible. If somebody's nature is such that they are born with almost, you're, you're now talking about the ones that are going towards the uh, psychopathy and you're talking about, you know, very antisocial and they just don't have that part of the brain that actually feels empathy, that feels compassion. And even though you might have parents who are very nurturing, they're very lovely, but they're very kind, no matter what they do, you do find that these, are, these cases are not often and they're rare, but you can find instances where you get somebody who's, when they grow up, they fit the criteria for NPD, they're complete a nightmare to be around. And yet they did not have the invalidation or the pumped upness. Mm, mm, okay yeah. what about like uh 
well, it's a controversial topic to talk about the recovery of narcissism or people, uh, narcissists who seek therapy or want to recover from from it if, if they, you know, in the yeah. first place recognize it. But like, let's say that there are two narcissists who are self-aware. So if the one of the narcissists uh, had only the na- like if we assume that it ha- they had only the nature component and the other one had maybe a little bit nature and mostly nurture is do you think there is a difference like which one is more likely to heal well that is a difficult question to answer you know the thing is when somebody if when you talk about narcissism it's essentially somebody who's developed such strong defense mechanisms because they want to protect themselves from this very, very fragile ego. It's that deep core self that is lacking. And if you're going to, they're self-aware, they're self-aware because they know that their habit patterns repeatedly push people away, repeatedly you know, destroy relationships. So what they want to do is they want to have those relationships. They want to have the inner connection. They might be trained to have the social uh, nuances. They, they, they might be trained to look at the cause and effect of different things. And they might be able to change their behavior. And I would say both may be able to change their behavior. But in terms of going right deep within to get them to actually change their deeper sense of self so that their ego can develop into a more stronger one. I have yet to see that happen. Now, narcissism is on a huge long spectrum. You can get people on the severe end and you can get people on the not severe end. It would be a very simplistic thing to say, right, this person had a very invalidating childhood and therefore it's more nurture than nature. So therefore they're not really on the severe end. And maybe the one who is on the nature is uh, on the more severe end. But the reality is that that is not true. You know, the mistake people make and time and time again, I get people who have been victims of narcissistic abuse where they feel uh, so sorry and their empathy skills are racked up right high because somebody has had a really difficult childhood and that their nurture and their environment was so tra- uh, traumatic that you feel, oh gosh, you know what, I can see why they're doing that. But what people forget that just because they are, you can explain that behavior because of their childhood and because of the nurture effects, doesn't justify it. So when we talk about cure, I'm at the moment working with a number of narcissists and they're self-confessed narcissists and they know that things are not working out. We don't talk about curing. We talk about damage control. We talk about how can you alter your behavior in such a way that you can still maintain some contact with the children in terms of a working relationship. But in terms of them having that utmost contact, you know, the human contact, the connection, where they feel like they are part of a bigger world, a part of a you know warm collective, they're not going to be able to do that because the wiring in the brain is such that they simply don't have the connections. 
right? So I have met with narcissists who have tried so hard to, quotation marks, get cured. They've, uh, I know one who went on five 10-day silent retreat meditations because he knew he was messing up his life. And the moment he came out of those uh, meditation retreats, hardcore, he truly wanted to get better. Within a week, his habit patterns went right back. And he was uh, an instance where I would say it was both nature and nurture. You know, so there we are. It's not a straightforward answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for for that. Yeah, I have also heard that if you don't really, uh, like people, uh, mental health professionals who work with people who have narcissism or are very high on the narcissistic traits spectrum like it takes years of work years of therapy and years of constantly like changing uh, doing the conscious decision to change your old behavior and habits because yes it is something about brain that there is something going on that there is some some things have been wired in a certain way so if you want to make kind of new wires, it doesn't happen in five or 10 days. It happened, like, let's say someone starts to work on these things when they are 35 years old. It means that they have done those things quite some time, like 20 years, like many, many years. So yeah, it doesn't happen overnight, like I can imagine. And what you will find is that, yes, after years and years of practice, they might be able to change their behavior but when I speak to them, they still don't feel whole and complete inside. They still feel empty and meaningless deep inside. So that part of their ego, which is the one that keeps them lacking, is one that is very, very difficult to shift. So you can shift behavior, absolutely, because they're not uh, stupid. They're very smart. And cognitively, they can say, if I do A, I'll get B. And what you find sometimes that when narcissists actually go into therapy, they just become really good at being narcissists. And they become worse and more dangerous in some respects. Mm, yeah, yeah, I can. I have heard uh, similar things. And that's why people are like, definitely do not ever go to couples therapy with a narcissist. And it's always a no to go to therapy a couple of therapy when there is like emotional abuse going on or like yeah and if there's physical abuse then you should try to find your way out of the relationship obviously but yeah it's therapy dangerous place sometimes it, it is dangerous and you know i i get many clients who are trying to leave their emotionally abusive partners and they'll say to me you know i wish he'd hit me because i would have a physical evidence of that but, you know, this is so manipulative. It's so uh, nuanced. And I don't know how to put my finger on it. And I would say emotional abuse, coercive behavior, it's exactly just as bad as physical. One does not make it easier to go. But, you know, we sort of say if physically you can see something, then you can. So at least I would be. Um, I'd have more empathy from people around me. People will understand. But if I just leave, but yet he, he, he's such a high-standing person in society. I've had people say, yeah, but he's like revered by society. How can I do that? I, I always say you, you're going to have to go within and do the right thing because both are 
equally bad. Mm-hmm. And that that's a very good point. And it's off like it's almost every time that it starts with emotional abuse and then it progresses into physical abuse over time. On sometimes in unfortunate cases, it's the physical abuse starts right away. But like it's very very common that first emotional abuse and then towards more and yeah. more emotional abuse and eventually physical abuse. So yes. Good point. Uh, let's go to the second question. So this is interesting. How do narcissists find our insecurities? Well, you know, that one is very easy to explain. And I'll tell you why. Because as human beings, you know, if you're a healthy person, you're going to empathize with people you're going to not want other people to suffer. So if somebody is going to come with a sob story, the the natural, healthy way of being human is to have empathy towards that person. It becomes unhealthy when you think that it is your job to therefore fix that person and help that person come out of it. That's the danger that people um, go and, and the trap that people fall into. The words I want you to remember, and I would like the listeners to be aware of, is that narcissists function best when things are foggy, when things are not set in stone, when things are vague. And when when I talk about fog, I mean F-O-G, fear, obligation, and guilt. If you are fearful of For example, how you look in public or you are easily embarrassed or ashamed because, you know, somebody is kicking up a rage in front of other people, then you'll try and minimize that because you are fearful. Then the narcissist is going to work on that. They know that that is a chink in your armor and they will put rub salt on that just to get to you or the O will be obligation. So they might make you feel obligated to do something. So if you've got a narcissistic parent or a narcissistic child, it's almost like, you know, they feel like it's their God-given right and that you must do that. And you will feel obligated to do something or as a partner and not realizing the boundaries of what the relationships are. So this obligation, then there is guilt. If you feel, if there's any part of you that, feels like you're not good enough or you're not worthy or you're, you know, some way or shape where you have an insecurity, which, by the way, is not going to be a bad thing because actually as human beings, we're all in the same boat. We're all trying to fit into society. We always sometimes question, am I good enough? The narcissist is then going to go right into that and rub salt in that one. So we'll make you feel guilty for making your choices. So for example, if you go out for a meal and the narcissist is not invited, they'll say, you know, you didn't invite me. How could you be so uncaring? I never thought I'd be. And then they really throw that guilt in. And the moment you feel guilty, that's it. They've got their supply. So how do narcissists find our insecurities? They look for fear, obligation, and guilt qualities. And when you come to fear, fear manifests in many ways. Um, I want the listeners to remember the word crap, 
because that's what comes up. Narcissists are very good at finding your crap. By crap, I mean the fear. This is the fear aspect of fog. It's fear of criticism. If you fear being criticized, then they will hone in on that. If you fear rejection, that's the R. So criticism, rejection. If you fear being abandoned, that's the A. And the fear of punishment, that's the P. So they'll raise their voice or they'll be very bullish. And then you fear that rage in that person. So therefore you back down. If you have crap showing up in front of the narcissist, then they know that these are your insecurities. So that's what they do. And they do it by just, you know, and we'll talk about the love bombing later on, but they, they find out information about you. But what they're really doing is they're trying to find what your insecurities are so they can work with that. Remember, narcissists feed off people's fears. Healthy people feed off people's joy. Thank you. Yeah. That, that's a great, great ending to your very comprehensive answer. Thanks. Uh, let's go to the third one. Uh, I think my therapist is breaking confidentiality by sharing what we discuss in our sessions with my narcissistic spouse. What should I do? I would say the best thing to do there is to have a conversation with the therapist. If the client feels strong enough, you can bring it up in session and name it and call the therapist and the narcissist out. But my guess is that if they've gone into therapy and this is going on, there will be a lot of fear that the victim is being subjected to. And as a result, that's a really tall order to actually bring it out in, in public, you know, in, in, in that three-way dynamic. So the best way to do this is to actually speak with the therapist and say, you know, in a very methodical way, I told you this, my ex or my partner has said this to me and therefore you will have spoken to him on this day. That is not professional or appropriate and I don't feel safe in this dynamic. So you're calling that person out, you're saying that it's not professional and you're saying that it's you don't feel safe in that environment and then I would actually encourage the person to leave therapy. Remember, therapists are not gods. They are not the ones who are experts of you. You know yourself best. And if you feel that whether you're in couple therapy or not, if you feel at any point that the therapist doesn't get you, you don't feel heard, you're feeling unsettled in the sense that they're not empathizing with you you've got to drop them like a red hot coal and find another that works therapists are human just like everybody else mm -mm, thank you uh then the fourth question what types of people attract narcissists I'm worried that I'm a narcissist magnet because I have been in three narcissistic relationships. How can I stop this from happening? So there are, I would say, 
two things that I would uh, say actually attract narcissists. The one word many of you will have heard is empathy. And the reason why narcissists are really attracted to people who are empathetic is because, remember, narcissists want to feel like they exist in the world. They want to feel like they mean and they matter. They want to feel like the people around them actually have emotions and experience emotions when they are around that person. So when you have empathy and you empathize with that person, you have feelings towards that person and therefore the narcissist is going to get the narcissistic supply. The other type of people that actually are very, very attractive to narcissists, in the, in the first instance, you see, narcissists want what they don't have from the other person. So if they see a healthy person, if they see somebody who's really solid, who is very assertive, very firm, very a go-getter, loves life, has this very huge, big successful career, narcissists will find those people very, very attractive in the first instance because they want everything. They want all of that. And they will try to get that person to give them all of that. But unfortunately, metaphysically, whether the person wants to give it or not, and whether the narcissist wants it or not, it is going to be impossible for you or for anybody to give those qualities to that person, to the narcissist. So that's what happens. So narcissists are going to be attracted to the very things that they don't have in the hope of receiving it and taking it and owning it for themselves. But time and time again, they will find that they're failing. Because, and then they move on, they move on. And they, they, it's not like they want to suffer inside. And people tell me that, yeah, but my, the narcissist I know is not suffering. You know, they're a multimillionaire. They've got this airplane and they're, they've got this helicopter and they're, they're flying. But, but then when you dissect it, you realize that this person is miserable. And I can attest to that because I work with narcissists who are on the very high end spectrum, who are very well off, but very miserable. So I don't know if that answers your question in terms of what type of people attract narcissists. It's, it can, anybody can attract a narcissist. If you're a healthy person, if you're a very, very empathetic person, they will go for you. The key here is at the moment you realize and red flags come up for you and you realize that this person is not healthy for you, the key is how healthy are you to be able to drop them without fear, without obligation, without guilt. That's going to be the victim's journey. Great. Thank you so much for that answer. Uh, so can you sum up one more time? Like how, so did you say that how do they question, how can I stop this from happening? What would you say if someone comes to you and asks, like, what is like, like, is it about that I need to kind of figure out what are my boundaries and always enforce them? Or are there like some other mm, tips that you could give someone who really wants to stay away from these narcissistic environments and relationships, but they recognize that they somehow gravitate towards those environments? So what a person who gravitates towards those relationships and environments, what they should do, like the first 
like let's say three step what what would you recommend sure i would say look within if you want to say you know how do i stop from this happening i would say get in touch with your fog get in touch with what are you fearful of what are you feeling what are your obligations and what are your guilts and know that if any of this come up in relation to anybody that you are attracted to you will be able to drop them no because you see uh when people are in the dating scene for example and they say you know why am i always attracting the ones that are the horrible people the ones who are emotionally unavailable the ones who are uh, emotionally abusive why am i so attracted to them it will be because there'll be something in their fear coming up so for example they fear criticism or rejection they want to feel loved they don't want to be abandoned and therefore they might be given an attraction to somebody who is very uh, charismatic who is very giving and they say wow this is so amazing and immediately they get hooked and they get hooked because they have the fear that they're not going to be lovable they're not worthy enough so the moment they get some worth they're completely sucked in so if you want to be protecting yourself i would say if you're in the dating scene go slow and then see how that other person reacts and behaves you know nobody can say i love you on the first instance because they don't know you they can't even say to you after 5 6 dates they don't know the whole of you so if you find that they're coming on strong back off and say let me just slow it down and then go with your own fears that are coming up as a result of the slowing down they might leave me they might what okay those are your fears so if you want to protect yourself from narcissists in your life i would say go absolutely within yourself and say what are my insecurities and how can i patch them up on my own such that I actually am not going to be affected by this so your boundaries become extremely rock solid and therefore you're not given to feeling guilty if you say no I can't come out today oh you're so uncaring I no I don't think so and then you say well I'm dropping that person immediately so you don't necessarily have to give people chance after chance after chance thinking oh but you know they're uh childhood was so horrible oh but they're having a bad day just because you can explain rotten behavior doesn't justify that behavior great thank you so much uh then the question number 5 my non narcissistic father is my narcissistic mother's biggest enabler how do i handle this situation do i try to explain narcissism to him I have accepted that I have lost my mother. I don't want to lose my father too. That's a really uh it's a very sad situation, but I do see it happen time and time again. You see, the reason why that father is going to be the enabler is because the narcissist has tapped into the father's fears wholly and fully. reeks of a codependent relationship 
So without the mother, the father is going to be like, well, who am I? What am I? And, and it becomes a very, very codependent relationship. Now, the person on, you know, the, the child in this instance, I would say rather than call out, yes, my father, you know, my mother is a narcissist and da, 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 and you should listen to this videos and that videos. I would say it's better to just name the actual behavior that is problematic and tell the father this is unacceptable and I will not, and this is wrong. I would like a relationship with you. But if that father then goes on and on about the mother, you say, no, if it is about the mother, we're not speaking about this. So I have a client at the moment where it's the other way around, but then she's literally told the mother that I, my relationship is with you. It's not with my father as well. So I want to hear about your life, but I don't want to hear anything about my father or what he does to you. Or how? Because I'm not I'm not the parent here, and she's literally had she's an adult and she's had this conversation with her mother, and the mother has over time learned that if she has to have a relationship with her mother, with her daughter, which she does want to have, then she cannot mention the father, because what was happening is she was ending up almost having to parent, and the lines were being blurred in terms of. Can you support me because, you know, your father is doing X, Y, Z to me. And now she's sort of stepped back and put very, very firm boundaries. And her relationship with her mother is a lot nicer and better. So on the flip side, I would say, if you're going to try to explain somebody narcissism, try to do so without using the word narcissism. Then when you find that that person really is understanding where you're coming from, is understanding these behavior patterns, and you feel that that person is really giving you the time of day and is seeing things from your perspective, at that point, you can use the word narcissist. And you can tell people, you know, I have family members who I have said the word narcissistic to in terms of people that I have been around that have narcissistic traits. But I do it at a point where I know that that person is going to be on my side and they can cope with the word narcissist. But until you're sure, I would not use the word narcissist. Mm, thank you. What your answer made me think when you mentioned that uh, one of your clients, she has made a very strong boundary with with the mother and said that, hey, I want to hear about you and your life, but not about the father. Like one thing that came to my mind was like when these narcissistic relationships they are often become like also codependent like you said that the like let's say in this in your client's case it would be that the mother uh like her sense of self is kind of a very tied to the like uh to her husband or like the father so then it like in practice it might be uh probably also hard for the mother like kind of talk about anything else if all she can identify with or all the sense of self that she has is somehow tied to the father so like it it might be very hard like I, I can imagine like it, it might be hard for her also kind of like say what is going on if everything relates to somehow to the father or the life that they have together so yeah I, don't, I hope maybe in that case I hope she will maybe find things outside of the relationship just to you know, share, share stuff with her daughter or something. You know, Juliana, you've hit the nail on the head. 
this setting of the boundaries has been fantastic for the mother. It's been fantastic for the daughter because now the narcissist no longer rules and controls the whole environment. The conversation does not revolve around that father who is narcissistic, who the mom knows is narcissistic and has made a choice not to leave him. That is her choice. You know, the daughter has said, leave him. You know, I'll support you. But the mom has made that choice. And the daughter has said, fine, that is your choice. I'm not going to um, disrespect it. So what they've had to do is find other things to talk about. So what have they spoken about? Well, what hobbies are you going to start? So the mom has started to go for very long walks now. You know, how was your walk? And she, the mom finally gets to ask the daughter, you know, how is your work going? What have you been doing? You know, how is your health? And now they're actually having healthier conversations where the narcissist is not taking up all the space. Yeah, yeah. And like, uh, I don't know, this might not have been going on in this particular situation, but like, it's very common for narcissists to use triangulation or somehow they are very good at getting between two other people who are very close together so i can like imagine like a boundary like that it totally prevents it it blocks it like it yes. it prevents the any the narcissistic person coming in any way between the two of them and then they can be stronger and happier uh together absolutely. and yeah absolutely and you know the, the the fear that this person in the question will have to overcome is that perhaps they will lose their father too. And that is a risk, but that is a risk worth taking if it means that your mental health and your father's mental health is going to be preserved. Yeah, that's great. Great answer to this question so let's go to the number six and it says i hate to admit this but i enjoyed the love bombing phase it made me feel amazing how do i move past that how can i find other sources of happiness in my life you know love bombing is something that is like a drug you know when you take something that just gives you so much happiness and so much joy and what's more joyful than knowing that somebody absolutely adores you and makes you the center of their life you know it's good it's not a bad thing at all but if it's done in the very very early stages of a relationship it's also very unhealthy because you think hang on a minute what is so special about me that this person's just hooked and is, is spending all this time with me. And it's not just all about money. Sometimes if narcissists have the means, then they will shower lots of gifts and lots of money and lots of amazing dates and dinners and all of that. Or if they don't have money, they might shower you with lots of praise and lots of compliments and lots of beautiful, beautiful, uh, lifting words. And you think, and that goes hand in hand with, you know, and I love you. You know, I can just feel such a deep soul connection with you. All of those words. And you, you will feel like you're on top of the world. If you know that this has happened very, very fast, 
then you know that this is dangerous. Because imagine, uh, you know, if you take a drug that is, well, I don't, I don't suggest that anybody does this, but if people were to take recreational drugs, you know, they get a huge high. But then you can be guaranteed that there'll be a drop that's going to come. No human being can sustain that high level of happiness. And life is not about attaining that level of happiness and maintaining it. It is physiologically impossible for our bodies to maintain that. So let's not fall into the trap of thinking that that is the aim of life. It's impossible to get to a constant state of immense happiness. It is possible to get into a place of contentment and peace. That is possible. So when the love bombing phase comes, it's just say that it's normal. It is a normal reaction to feel amazing. That is how the body is engineered. But how do I move past that? I would say if you are sucked in, then you go move past that with difficulty. But you do it. You know, if you don't like being in a tunnel, the only way to come out of the other tunnel is just put the foot on the accelerator and just go through it. And you will come out of it. So how do you move past the love bombing stage? You say, yes, I've got this, but it, I know, and this is for people who already have the knowledge of narcissism and love bombing to say, this is a warning sign. This is a red flag. This doesn't make sense. This person doesn't truly know me. And so how can they be saying all these words? Best time to judge a narcissist is not how they treat you in the beginning, but it's how they behave when shit hits the fan. How do they behave when things are going wrong, when things are not going to time, to plan? When, uh, how are they treating the people around them, especially the people who have less than them in terms of money or uh, power or whatever it is, how are they treating them? Not when you're around, but if you're, if you're lucky enough, around the corner, you can see how they're treating that person. Judge them by their behavior, but not by what they say to you. So in terms of, can I find other sources of happiness in my life? Absolutely. There are so many other places you can go where you can find utter joy and happiness. And the beauty of these ones are, is that you're not dependent on anybody else providing it to you. Now, how powerful is that? Like you could go and generate that level of happiness and peace and, and uh, overwhelming joy within you. So for example, if you learn to truly enjoy your own company, I had somebody recently say to me, and I told them, you know, so what, how are you spending your Saturday today? And she said, mm, I think I'm going to go on a date with myself today. And then that's what she did. She went for shopping, then she did some beautiful things for her. She went for a movie, then when she went for a meal and she said, I've had the best day ever. She was buzzing and high just because she felt that I needed that. I needed to do that sort of self-love. It's possible. Now, so these are sources of happiness where you go within and say, actually, I'm going to be able to find the, this source of happiness within myself. 
or get connected, get connected with other people that are healthy, who are who value the same things that you value in life, and then spend time with them. Mm, great. And I think uh, that is such a great point that you say that you uh, like the things that you said about happiness and creating that with, within yourself, because if you think about narcissistic people or narcissists, they are really good at, in the beginning stages of the relationship, to use mirroring to kind of be the person that you need them to be. So let's say that you are a person who doesn't have the inner happiness, who is like, unable to create that within themselves the narcissist is going to notice that and then they are going to fill that void in you and then you are in a very vulnerable and dangerous situation and which would it could be fine if the narcissist would be another healthy and safe person they could like help you and they could help you to find ways to fill that void by yourself but they are going to use that situation to have more control and have more supply to themselves to fill their own forever empty void or whatever their sense of emptiness there might be or why they need so much the external validation and power and control. So yeah, I, I really liked how you went into detail about the uh, how to create internal happiness and how that is so powerful. Thank you. I agree. You know, thank you. I am totally uh, with that because that just takes away the power of the narcissist to do any harm. Exactly. Yeah. Because then you are able to, like, you you are not dependent on the same way you are. Because I I hear so often how people are like, well, but yeah, I can see how this. I I have started to see how this relationship is manipulative and hurting me. But at the same time, I feel I can't be happy without this person. So it's kind of it's very odd situation how those two things can be happening at the same time. So yeah, it is. It's very very difficult situation often. It is very difficult, and and that is where. If the person works on themselves, they will realize that they are worthy of so much more, so much more. And when you really, truly get a sense of your self-worth, I would say you're not going to put up with anyone and your boundaries are going to be so firm and good. And just because you have extremely firm boundaries doesn't make you a nasty person or a horrible person. It just means that you respect yourself. Exactly. And that's why I have always uh, often, I mean, often heard how, like, let's, there are many people who are, who are currently in this narcissistic relationship or relationship with a, a full-blown narcissist. And uh, they are often told uh, that start practicing some self-care because from that like from the small steps you pro you are going to uh, gather the strength to finally then leave because when you have more the self-love you have more uh, like you start to respect yourself more so then you probably gonna see okay this relationship is not 
like I'm not respecting myself anymore because I am being in this relationship and then they find the strength to leave. But the tricky thing here is that the narcissist probably is going to do everything in their power trying to prevent you from doing those self-care things, uh, trying to prevent you putting yourself first. So that's why it's extremely hard in those toxic environments to heal yourself like it's there is a saying or i don't know it it was this quote that i saw somewhere that you can't heal in an environment that made you sick so like it's like often because narcissist people they don't they don't want you to they don't want that the time that your time because they want that your time goes only to them so when you start to invest it in yourself then they, I'm sure they will do uh, a lot of things to try to make it harder for you. But I think that just is an another sign for you. Like, like immediately if someone gets irritated or tries to prevent you from developing yourself or doing self-care, that is a big, big red flag. Like what's going on? Like Absolutely, mm. absolutely. You know, I have had, you know, therapists uh, and clinical psychologists like myself, we are all human. And we are 15 people who graduated in my year, sort of, you know, almost 25 years ago. And when I've gone back, we had a re recent year reunion and a number of us have been subjected to narcissistic abuse because we have very high empathy scales. We can, we, we really get people, you know, from good, healthy families, most of us. And I realized that I had lots of narcissistic people around in my life as well. The only way I was able to go through my fog and all my crap, and it's a journey. It doesn't mean that I'm like superhuman and I've got, I'm as a Zen sort of place now. It's a continued work with everybody. But that boost that I needed came from a 10-day silent meditation retreat that I went on. That I was able to see things sharp and clear. And then I came out and it was just dead easy for me to put my boundaries when the when the penny dropped, it was like left, right and center. It was like everybody just being shooed away, shooed away in the most gentle of ways because you just move away. You let them get on with their life. You let them do whatever they, you don't have to tell other people that they're narcissists. You don't have to do it. You just move away. And then your world opens up to other people in your life that were never going to have a chance to get in as long as those people were there. And you get beautiful people coming into your life, which is what's happened with me. So I would say don't lose hope. If you're in that relationship, keep trying, keep trying until the day comes when you're able to just walk away. Exactly. Yeah. And there's one one story that I heard, uh, like one woman told me that the about the day that she left was that she had started to do those self-care things had started to look into herself and thought like okay what made what makes me happy i need more joy in my life and she wanted to do a garden like a all uh kind of flowers put flowers on her garden and etc and one day the narcissist in her life destroyed that garden and she was like thinking like okay like he just took the one thing away like the one thing that i found in this miserable house that i'm trapped in and he just destroyed it and that's then she left like it was so like but i was it's just 
it actually makes my skin I don't I don't know how to say it. Yes, chicken skin. Yeah. I don't know how to say it yeah, in English. Like the, the hairs on your hand yeah. come off. Yeah, yeah. Goosebumps you say in English. Goosebumps. Yeah, yeah. Like because I, it's just it's just so uh it shows how cruel these people are. Like the narcissist probably saw how it made her happy, you know, and then he went and destroyed all the flowers and but yeah, yeah good they- good for her that she's out now. <laughs> I think it's fantastic for her. So that just goes to show, you see, narcissists cannot tolerate happiness around them. They feed off fear. They feed off poison. They feed off insecurities. They cannot tolerate happiness. They want it, but they're never going to get it. And they go about the wrong way time and time again to get it because they're looking outwards to fulfill all of that, you know, but they don't get it. They don't, they're still always empty. And, uh, Narcissists have two qualities that I would say if you're fortunate enough for them to open up to you, which I've had many open up, they say that they're very envious. They're always envious of people who are happy and they're jealous. They're jealous of people who have stuff and they don't have stuff. Now those two, those are evil, you know, qualities in the sense that they are guaranteed to make you miserable envy and jealousy now if you have insecurities you can also feel envy and jealousy that doesn't mean that you're a narcissist but narcissists for sure will always have that they will always have that in them and therefore like the example you gave me he was jealous and envious that she was happy well i'm going to take that away from me from this person they have very long memories they never forget so now now that she's left him fantastic he will never forget that narcissistic injury so anytime he gets he'll put her down but you know you're gone exactly yeah uh let's go to the number seven that's question number seven and it is the narcissist in my life is so helpful with my family. I'm scared that if I tell them about how abusive he is, they will just call me dramatic. What should I do? Now, it sounds to me that in that question, the narcissist has a lot of what we call communal qualities. Communal narcissists are ones that love to be the do-gooders. They give to charity. They give. They want to be seen as, oh, I'm such a loving, caring, lovely person. And they're able to pull the wool over many people's eyes. And yet, in the private life, they're a completely different person. Now, in this instance, what I would say is don't protect the narcissist. You know, the reason why communal narcissists get away with all that abuse in the private life is because when you're in the public space, they know that you're not going to call them out on something. But if they say something that is wrong or inaccurate, then I would say, put your fear of embarrassment, put your fear of punishment to one side and name it and say, but, but, but that's not what you say this time, you know, this is what you say. And the narcissist hates being called out. And then, you know, their behaviors will show up. Now, if they have 
done X, Y, Z to the person, I would say that person needs to find the one person who's going to believe them and say, yeah, it's, it's lovely that you see it this way. However, this is what he said to me on this date. So you just name the behavior. Don't, if you know that these people aren't going to really be very supportive or they're not going to understand, then don't say that they are a narcissist, but just say, this is what he said to me. And then if you can bring that out in the open, not in the whole big, you know, just where with the person that it's relevant whilst the narcissist is there. So, you know, you, and you can tell, you know, the narcissist that, well, you did this to me. You know, I don't think that is reasonable. And then you've called out the narcissist. But in order to do that, you have to be ready for rage in the narcissist because when they know that they've been found out, they're going to be rageful. And then their secret is out. So you've got to learn not to fear that rage because the rage is them being extremely fearful and they're just projecting how their inner world is feeling. But if you have your boundary to say, well, yes, there's this detached compassion in the sense, yep, yeah, I see that you're going, but that's not my rage. It's a tricky one. So I would say, yes, you've got family, but then you might have friends, that same person might have friends who would believe. Find people in your life who are going to believe you. When people say that, oh, blood is thicker than water, you know, than water in terms of friends, you can't go to friends, you know, family have to stick together. I would say that it is incorrect. The people who are your family are the people who you can rely on and who love you unconditionally, no matter who they are. And it is not the case that the family are the only ones capable of doing that. I know lots and lots of friends who are able to give beautiful, unconditional love. Thank you. Uh, then the question number eight. The narcissist enablers in my life are constantly pressuring pressuring me to help my narc narcissistic sister because she is trying. I know that I will have to distance myself at some point, but I'm not ready yet. What should I do? Um, here's the thing, you know, nobody can tell you what you should be doing in your life, you know, how you should be thinking, what you should be saying. So if your family, if this person's family is saying, you know what, you need to be trying, you don't need to be doing more because she is trying. That means they're all empathetic towards her. And there's almost, it's, they almost become flying monkeys for her because they're doing her bidding. And you can validate what they're saying to, to you. Like say, yep, I can see that they're trying. But that is your, your relationship with her is your relationship with her. My relationship is my relationship and I will decide how I will behave, act and think and do things around this person. So you keep creating a boundary that is your own, not just with the narcissist, but also your family in relation to the narcissist. 
because who is anybody to say what you should and should not be doing? In a healthy family, you don't dictate what other person's supposed to be doing. You accept that that is their point of view. You can by all means say, they can say that this is what I, should, I think you should be doing. And they say, I respect that, but I choose not to do it. And that's also okay. And then if the family says, well, you know, then I'm, it's going to be conditional. Well, I'm not going to speak to you and you're making it awkward. You say, no, I, I, I disagree. Again, it's similar to the parents that I was talking about with the child, you know, with the enabler. Your relationship with that family member is your relationship with the family member. You're not one big whole. You're individuals who are whole that are simply interdependent on each other where it is possible. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Thank you so much. Then the number nine. What are some narcissistic patterns that I should watch out for on social media with stories like the Tinder swindle, swindle, swindler becoming more and more common? How can I stay safe online? You know, online dating is a whole other beast, isn't it? And unfortunately, in this day and age, you know, it isn't that easy to just meet people or at a party and so on. Um, I actually think internet dating and online dating is a fantastic thing. You know, it connects people who would normally never have met and uh, beautiful people who would have never met. But at the same time, it also opens up avenues for narcissistic people to find out and they look at the profiles and they know exactly who to target key to remember is if you just have a few things that are just your golden rule book first do not part with your money with somebody online just don't if you don't know them if you've never met them if you don't have a long-standing relationship with them where you know their whole world and you have known them for a long time and they've nurtured you do not part with your money because you just never know. You know, the, why do people part with their money when it comes to, they said, the stories like uh, Tinder Swindler is because they feel sorry. Their empathy skills are wrapped up high. And what that uh, narcissist has given in return is they have put bomb on their love bombing, on all their fears of, you know, I'm not good. So they give all of that, they lavish that person and that person thinks, oh, you know what? They give me so much. No, it's just words. So first I would say, don't part with the money. Then the moment somebody starts say, you know, being so full on very quickly, go slow, take a deep breath, resist, you know, too much con communication and be very honest and say that, you know, I will be, you know, you're not playing games. You just be very communicative. You said, this is how much I, I want to take it slow. And then you take charge. Now it's going to be hard because, you know, if somebody is coming with a huge big dose of drugs and you say, no, nope, this is not, you know, I know this is going to make me feel amazing, but I'm just going to take a little bit to just tread my water in first. Right. 
it's it's not easy to say no, but I think it's very, very wise to do so. Because if somebody is truly worth it, they will wait. And they won't play games and they won't uh, feel fe rejected if you just say, no, I, I can't speak today. You know, that you're setting your boundaries and you say, okay, well, this person is not playing games. They're not making me wait. They're communicating properly. So you want to know that this person is actually respecting you. And then you take it forward. Thank you. Exactly. That is so, so good point because if they do break the boundary, like for example, you saying no, or you limiting the time that you are communicating with them or spending time with them. And if they already break that, like, let's say you have known each other for a month, why would they all of a sudden respect your all other boundaries later on in the relationship? Absolutely. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Spot on. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, then the final question, sometimes mental health professionals turn out to be narcissistic. How can I tell the difference between a professional who is pushing me towards becoming the best version of myself and a professional who is pushing me because he or she is narcissistic? I think that one is one that the client can answer very well by listening to your gut. If you see, as a clinical psychologist, I cannot say that I'm the expert of my clients because I'm not. My clients are the experts of themselves. So if we are talking about them leading a valued life, I will be asking them, you know, who is the person that you value yourself to be? What are the qualities that you want to be known for or you want to be remembering yourself for you know, when you're sort of say 80, 90 years old and looking back on yourself? And then I'll guide them to what qualities there are, you know, what qualities they can choose from. That's not an exhaustive list. They can also add their own qualities. So you give them space to grow and to think. But I can't answer those questions. So... When they come with those questions, when they come with those answers, then we work with those answers. And I will tell them that these qualities and the values can change over time as they grow and they mature as well. And they should feel free to change as and when they want to. So a therapist who is extremely directive and who tells somebody, this is how you should be behaving and that is wrong and this is what you should be valuing and all of that, you know that this person's not really got you right they need to be very exploratory so be very careful if somebody is almost taking over then your gut needs to say well hang on a minute but where am i in the, all of this or for example if you find that you don't get a chance to really feel heard in the therapy and the narcissist is going on and on about themselves or the therapy narcissistic therapist goes on and on about themselves or indeed spends a heck of a lot of time with self-revealing stuff without context, you know, without or sort of saying, well, I'm so good because, you know, I've done this and maybe you want to consider that. And you leave the room feeling like you're a small person because this person's really made themselves big. Then you know that that is not a healthy relationship. 
my clients need to know that I'm on the same boat as them. I am not a savior, but neither am I the one with all the answers. But I do have a lot of experience and I can share a lot with them. I can share with them tools, strategies that they then go away and tell me whether it works or not. So the first thing I will tell all my clients on the very first meeting is I will, I'm going to invite them to be highly, highly critical of me and of everything I say. Because if you think about what narcissistic sort of abuse clients have felt is a complete demolished sense of them, their own self in the abuse. So by the time they come to me, they don't even know who they are. Their sense of self has been trampled on. So in order to help them build that, what better way than to invite them to be highly critical of me? Because that's the way that they can start learning to be critical of everything in their life, including the therapist, so that they can start taking charge. That is such a great point because like therapy, at least it should be, and I'm sure it is in your practice that therapy is the safe space so that you start there learning about being critical because you know it's a safe space, it's confidential, and then it just spreads on, on other areas of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Uh, today we had some great questions and great answers. Thank you for listening to this episode and thank you, Daksha, so much for joining me today and answering all these questions. You're welcome. Thank you so, so much. You know, one of the things I find is, uh, Juliana, I love the work I do. The challenge is that in this day and age, narcissism is, is like a pandemic. It is everywhere and the number of clients coming to me is just incessant i love working with them but there's only so much i can do on a one-to-one -one basis and as a result i thought how can i reach to the masses how can i get more people to start on their journey of overcoming their fog of overcoming their crap get the first steps going in a way that is actually also affordable you know not to forget that actually when you get Uh, financial abuse thrown in, it just becomes ridiculous. So what I have done is I've got an online program that I've got on uh, on my website that people can start and they can do. It's over five and a half hours of modules, worksheets, and they can really start to go into their fog, into their crap. How do they get back into their sense of self again and start on their journey to set the boundaries What are the warnings? There's lots of um, frequently asked questions that I will address as well. And that's on my website, which is parmi.co.uk. So P-A-R-M-I. But it would be my pleasure to welcome people on the healing journey because, you see, once your boundaries are set, life is great. And just because you've suffered the worst narcissistic abuse, where everything has been taken from you does not mean that life cannot thrive again. 